Welcome to JAG Talk, a podcast series featuring Navy JAG community experts. Listen to in-depth discussions about different legal fields and hear insights and lessons learned from practitioners across our enterprise. Chapter 18, Accessions, Working with Your Local Recruiter. work as a special assistant for sessions at Code 61, which is in the Office of the Judge Advocate General in Washington, D.C., and I'm here with Lieutenant McCarl. I'll let her introduce herself. Hello, everyone. This is Lieutenant Lindsay McCarl, and I work in the same office as Lieutenant Commander Bodie. I am the special assistant for recruiting, and I also work with the intern and extern program. So today we wanted to do a podcast to talk to those individuals uh, who were recently recommended, professionally recommended at a the spring or fall accessions board and talk to you all about some of the steps that you will be taking at this juncture and working with your assigned Navy recruiter. So just to kind of go back just so I'm very clear is that at this juncture what's happened is that you have been professionally recommended for uh, a commission into the United States Navy and the JAG Corps said hey we really want this person and now what needs to happen is you need to go through the whole clearance process with what we consider to be the big Navy side of things. So you will be assigned a local recruiter where you are geographically located, so where you are living, and that person is not a judge advocate, it may not be an officer, but it is an assigned Navy recruiter to assist you in getting through this sort of second hurdle in your commissioning process. So for example, if you are a law student in Austin, Texas, you will be assigned a local Navy recruiter there close to you. If you're a direct appointment applicant in New York City, you'll again be assigned a totally different Navy recruiter to help you there. So it's helpful to think of this phase of the process as almost completely separate from the JAG Corps process. So we, the JAG Corps, have said, we want this person. But we can't just take you in unilaterally. We have to give you kind of back to the Big Navy and say, Big Navy, please process this person and get them through and so that we can commission them as a judge advocate. So right now your process is really being worked by Navy Recruiting Command and the local Navy Recruiting District who is helping you through this next phase of this process. So what we want to do right now is talk about what that second phase actually is. So, Lieutenant McCarl, once an individual has been assigned his or her recruiter, what is the first thing they should do and what should they expect at this point to happen? So the first thing that a professionally recommended um, applicant should do is be proactive. Contact your assigned Navy recruiter. That is, that is the absolute most important thing you can do. Um, and stay in touch with them. If you don't hear anything from them after a couple of days or weeks, you need to be reaching out to them to make sure that your application for a commission is still moving forward through the process. So there are two major things that your recruiter does. Number one, get you through the security clearance process. And then number two, moves you through the medical clearance process. So the first one, security clearance, and that's typically the easier piece to the commissioning process. You'll be required to complete what's called an SF-86 form, and uh, some recruiters will work this piece simultaneously as you work on medical 
Others will wait until the end because again, it's usually the easier component. The next big piece is medical. So the best thing you can do right now, even before you've met with your recruiter, is to gather any and all medical files on past surgeries or other medical anomalies in your past. So that means everything from the knee surgery you had in college to something as seemingly insignificant as LASIK. And when you meet with your recruiter, he or she will ask you to fill out an initial pre-screen form. Um, you'll have to answer a bunch of yes or no questions um, based on whether you've um, had sleeping issues or severe acne or major surgeries, things like that. Fill it out as quickly as possible and return it to your recruiter. That form is then going to be provided to MEPS, which is M-E-P-S, the Medical Entrance Processing System, where they do an initial screen of your medical records and that form that you've turned in. They'll make one of the following determinations at that point after reviewing that initial paperwork. The first is you will no longer warrant further processing through the Navy. Second, they could say a request for additional information or files, so that's where it's good to have that medical paperwork ahead of time. Or three, your recruiter can now officially schedule you with, a, with MEPS for a full physical exam. So we're not going to get into number one or two at this time, but if that determination is made, then Lieutenant Commander Bodie, the Special Assistant for Accessions, will have further individual conversations with you about the way ahead. If you do overcome that first hurdle and you're scheduled for MEPS for a full physical, then you'll be working with your local Navy recruiter to figure out the best day and time you can attend. It is going to be a few hours um, at a medical processing facility. You will undergo a complete physical exam. And after MEPS, your recruiter will send you medical documents or send your medical documents to the medical department at Navy Recruiting Command, and that command is specifically called N3M. And those are the medical folks that have a final say as to your medical clearance. So ma'am, Lieutenant Commander Bodie, how long does the medical clearance process typically take for applicants? So we get this question a lot from applicants because there's a lot of um, stories out there regards to people saying my friend went through and it seemed to only take a month I had another friend and I felt like they were going through medical at a year and a half how long can you know expect to take for the typical applicant um, unfortunately that's a very very challenging question to actually answer definitively much of it depends on you individually so it depends on your individual medical history. It depends on how closely you're able to work with your recruiter. It depends on how quickly you're able to gather any medical a documentation that is requested of you. So the things that we can say are some of that are outside of your control at this point in time. Whatever your medical history is, that's what your medical history is. But what you can assist with in trying to expedite the process is gather any of those documents as quickly as possible. So if you have to make that request, um, to that uh, you know, records department and that takes 30 days, again, that's out of your control, but at least you can put the request in as soon as possible. If your recruiter asks you to fill out information, always make sure you fill out that information as quickly as possible. In terms of other timelines that are out there, if you don't have a significant medical history, meaning that you haven't had you know, anything other than maybe your wisdom teeth taken out at some point in time, theoretically, you should move through the process in a few months. 
if you have some further issues going on or just a further past history of, of let's say you played sports in college and you tore your ACL something like that that could take just a little bit longer to get through because you're going they're gonna to have to cull through any documentation that you have of that any of your rehab that you had through that so you can expect that to just take a little longer and that's why it's always good to keep as close as contact as possible with our office at code 61 but also again more importantly at this point is to keep in as close of contact with your actual recruiter that has been assigned to you because they are really moving you through the process at this point so again we will just reiterate at this point again always be proactive with that recruiter they've got a lot of people that they're juggling and so you just have to make sure that your name is sort of always on on, on their on their mind in terms of moving you through the process so although we can't give a clear timeline as to how long someone will take, again, some people will just take a few short months. Other people we've seen take a, a year and a half. Um, so just know that any of those possibilities are out there. But what you can do is be as proactive as possible. So Lieutenant McCarl, one question that we frequently get is, but I'm a lawyer, I'm going to be a lawyer. Um, are the medical requirements loosened for judge advocates when they come into the service? No, they aren't, ma'am. Um, we all go through the exact same medical pre-screening process, and uh, regardless, we are still expected to uh, be ready to deploy at a moment's notice. So we all have to go through the exact same medical requirements as anyone else entering the Navy. And do you have any other tips for those individuals as they work through the commissioning process? Just to remember that it's a two-prong process. Again, this is the major portion where you're working with your local recruiter, not the JAG Corps, um, to, and you just need to keep us informed at Code 61 how you're moving through that process. Keep in close contact with your recruiter, keep in touch every couple weeks, and just let us know if you have any hiccups along the way. If you're medically disqualified or they're asking for some weird medical paperwork, anything like that. Uh, we will reach out to you about once a month at the beginning and then more frequently as time goes on and as you get closer to being able to commission. And remember, the faster you commission, the higher your priority list becomes when choosing a duty station. So there's definitely advantages to commissioning as quickly as possible. Thank you, Lieutenant Carl. Um, we've already mentioned these things a few times, but just to, just to recap, what we do want you to make, sh make sure you take away from this is one is to be proactive. I know it's sort of like we're beating a dead horse here, but it's really essential that you as the applicant are proactive with your recruiter. So sometimes uh, my office will contact you and say, have you heard from your recruiter? And we'll hear responses such as, well, I contacted them once a week ago and I haven't heard back. At that point in time, you should be contacting the recruiter again call them, email them, get them on the line, and talk to them about what's going on with your individual case. So do not ever be afraid of pestering or bothering. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes that's what it takes to move through the process. So always, always be as proactive as, as possible. At this juncture, hopefully you're listening to this before we've even assigned you a local recruiter, really re, uh, suggest that you gather all that medical evidence that, or documentation that you think they might even ask for even if you don't even can't even imagine why it would be relevant um, something that happened to you when you were 14 years old has no bearing on your medical how you're doing medically right now they will almost certainly ask for so if you have some medical documentation from a surgery that you had when you were 14 or you have a way of getting that medical documentation 
then I highly recommend that you do that at, at this point in time. And finally, although this is a, the second phase of the process, it is important that you keep us, the JAG Corps side, in the loop about what's going on with your current case. So if you have correspondence with your local recruiter, that doesn't mean that our office knows that you've had that correspondence. The only way that we know that you've had that correspondence is if you tell us that you've had that correspondence. So it may seem redundant to you if you're talking to your recruiter and telling them something and your recruiter tells you, okay, you're scheduled for MEPS on 21 August. And then you feel as if, okay, I'm scheduled for MEPS, that should be good. Make sure you come back to our office and say, just you should be aware that I am scheduled for MEPS on 21 August. And that's great for us to know because now we're tracking that you have been scheduled and you are moving and progressing through the process. So although it is somewhat redundant in your life, it's very essential that we keep in touch as well about what's happening through, through your process. With that, that's all we have for this individual podcast. We will have uh, other podcasts coming regards to Officer Development School and Naval Justice School. But thank you very much for listening. And please, if you have any questions about working with your recruiter after listening to this, please reach out to our office. Again, code 61 at OJAG. Thank you very much. You have been listening to JAG Talk, a podcast series featuring Navy JAG community experts. Visit jag.navy.mil for additional chapters of this podcast series. Thank you for tuning in.